Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's 11pm here tonight. I have for you the ending and most exciting part of the Peter Pan trilogy. I hope you've all been having a great year, and most of all, getting a good night's sleep. Since most of you are getting two stories a week with the Glinda of Oz series on Patreon, which is exciting and well written. I've said it several times, I think it's the best book in the series. If you're new here to the Knox family, welcome. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm and comfort at bedtime for a long time to come. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. I have some good news and some bad news. I'm going to keep doing the same amount of episodes a month, but only two of them will be free. The other four will be Patreon only. Our audience has doubled in just the last three months and Patreon hasn't budged. In fact, I've actually lost two patrons from the maximum we had. Part of it, I think, is putting out too much free content, so that will start next week. I don't think people think about how much work I put into these or care. I got four new background songs I'm editing for new episodes coming up. And I have a story by the same author that patrons loved in the story, The Difference. If you would like to become a patron, you can do so at KnoxBedtimeStories.com and clicking the Join Patreon button or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. There are various rewards for tiers and more coming. And I will get off handwritten letters and cards for those over $10 that really kept the show going at times I thought of just quitting. I'd like to thank Linda Sibley for upping her patron amount after one of our other patrons left. Hopefully we'll get an influx and I can get this computer fixed up. You guys voted that you wanted me to mix up good news stories and positive affirmations. But tonight, we're going to repeat some self-love proclamations. It's important to love ourselves in order to love others. Number 1. Self-love is not selfish. You cannot truly love another until you know how to love yourself. Number 2. Owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we'll ever do. Number three, be proud of who you are and not ashamed of how someone else sees you. Number four, be yourself. An original is so much better than a copy. Number five, you can't pour from an empty cup. Take care of yourself first. Number six, above all, be true to yourself, and if you cannot put your heart in it, take yourself out of it. Number seven, if you're searching for that one person that will change your life, 
take a look in the mirror. Number 8. Stop underestimating yourself. Number 9. You are allowed to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. And number 10. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. And those are 10 valuable quotes for tonight. Okay, now let's get into bed. Say to yourself, My bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, Peter Pan Part 3 of 3, With the Spring Comes Wendy. Set to sleep-inducing music, and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable for you. And let's begin. Part 4. The Underground Home The days passed merrily in the underground home, where Wendy was the sweetest little mother and Peter the bravest father you could have found anywhere. The cave was large and roomy, and the rocks out of which it was hollowed were of a deep brown color. There was a fine fireplace and overhead near the ceiling. There hung baskets and fishing tackle and all sorts of things, likely to be used to cave dwellers. Wendy had not long been there, before she had improved the home and made it as comfortable as her own nursery. It is wonderful what clever girls can do, even with the poorest materials. There was now a huge bed for all the boys and a basket for Michael because he was the littlest and because a cradle is such a homely thing to have about the home. And in a corner of the room, hidden behind a tiny crimson curtain, there was a wee little room for Tinkerbell, daintily furnished to suit the tastes of girl fairies. There were stools made of mushrooms for the boys, and two comfortable chairs made of pumpkins, where Peter and Wendy would sit in state as was fitting the father and mother of the little family. One Saturday night, Wendy and the boys were all downstairs together, waiting for Peter to come back from a hunting expedition. Outside, the faithful Tiger Lily and her Red Indian band were keeping guard against the pirates. Presently, crackling of branches indicated Peter's approach through the underwood. Tiger Lily sprang up to meet him, and the lost boys ran to the tree trunk stairways to welcome him on his return. He was the best of fathers and never forgot to be a little boy, for he had filled his pockets with fruit for the boys who had been good and he let them rummage through and through his coat like rats in a corn sack. Then he turned towards Wendy, 
who was very busy mending the children's socks by the fireside. She looked very charming in her pretty brown frock, the color of autumn leaves, with scarlet berries in her hair, and she made Peter very happy as they exchanged thimbles and talked over the boys and their doings, as if they had really been their father and mother. The children clambered for a dance. Peter even said that he was too old for such a game, and that his old bones would simply rattle. And Wendy also thought that the mother of such an armful could not go skipping about with her children. So Peter sang Sally in Our Alley, which song Wendy thought no one else could in all the world could sing so sweetly as the darling of her heart. While the others danced pillow dances and bolster dances and turned somersaults on the beds and did all the jolly and lively things that everyone wants to do just about at bedtime, when one ought to be thinking of going to sleep. At last, they quieted down for Wendy to tell them just one more story before they were turned in for the night. They clustered eagerly round, interrupting every sentence, as children always do, even the best of them, while Wendy told her story. And the story somehow seemed familiar to John and Michael and Peter, for it was the tale of Mr. and Miss Starling. Poor dears, who had lost their children one winter night, and how sad they were about it, how lonely they felt, and how the nursery window would always be kept open, ready for the two children if ever they should come flying home again. When she had finished, Peter stood up sadly. No, Wendy, he said. I thought so once, but you cannot be sure that that window will be kept open. When I went back to my mother, the window was barred and there was another little boy sleeping in my cradle. At that thought, Wendy started up with a look of horror in her face. Perhaps by this time, mother may be in half mourning, she exclaimed and John and Michael felt they never dared not stay another moment in Never 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 Land. What would they do if they were too late in coming back and found other children in their beds, other children being bathed and dressed by Nana? They must go home at once. The boys crowded round Wendy, imploring her not to leave them, but she was firm. Not only would she return with John and Michael, but she would take all the boys with her for her mother to adopt. The boys, as soon as they heard themselves invited to come too, were as happy as larks. And now, each of them would have a true mother and Miss Darling, who live in a house like other boys. In a moment, they were packing their baby clothes and were starting to start on their journey. Peter alone refused. He was miserable at the thought 
of losing Wendy, but couldn't consent to grow old and have a beard, as he knew he must do if he left the Never 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 Land. Never Never could he do that. There was nothing for him then but to stay behind. Wendy was as careful as a little mother in pouring out Peter's medicine and made him promise faithfully to take it every night. But suddenly, there was a stamping overhead and banging and flashing and a shouting and the sound of heavy people wrestling and struggling to and fro. The pirates had taken the Red Indians by surprise. The children heard the fighting and listened like mice to the squalling of cats, as frightened as could be, while Peter waited with his sword. The battle was very soon over. The redskins were beaten and ran like hares, or crawled dangerously wounded into the thickets. The triumphant pirates were left victorious, though a little out of breath, close above the children's heads. Hook, their captain, more wicked looking than ever, listened at the mushroom chimney. If the Indians have won, Peter was saying they'll beat the tom-tom. Aha, thought Hook, and he picked up a tom-tom that one of the flying Indians had left behind and sounded it loudly, rub-a-dub, rub-a-dub, dub-dub-dub. Hurrah, shouted the children down below. An Indian victory. And we'll be safe, said Peter. You may go now. Tink will show you the way. And bidding a hurried goodbye to Peter, away they all went up the stairways in the tree trunks and into the forest. The pirates were ready for them. As each child came above the ground, he was seized by one of the swarthy ruffians who stood waiting. One by one and silently, they were captured and flung into boats and transported to the pirate ship which had anchored in the lake close by. Seized by one of the swarthy ruffians, everything had been done so quietly that Peter was quite unaware of his friend's sad fate. He only knew that he was all alone, that Wendy had left him, and that she and Michael and John and all the lost boys who had been his companions were on their way from the Never 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 Land to the country of the ordinary people who wear tall hats and tailcoats as soon as they are old enough and grow up one after the other. Poor Peter threw himself on his bed and sobbed himself to sleep. Hook was still lurking about. For the one thing that annoyed him most was that Peter had not left the cave with the rest and was as yet safe. But in his wicked heart, a wicked scheme had risen by which he hoped to kill his enemy. He had carefully listened to Wendy's last words. Be sure and take your medicine, Peter. 
Here was the captain's last chance. Creeping down to the door of the cave, he stretched his long arm round the ledge, just inside, and poured a few drops of deadly poison into the glass. And with a grin of triumph on his ugly face, he threw his cloak over his shoulder and stole away. Tap, tap, tap. Something was knocking at the door. Who's there? asked Peter sleepily. Tap, tap, tap. He got up and opened the door. Tinkerbell, tinkling excitedly, flew into the room. The pirates have captured them, she tinkled. The pirates have captured them. As Peter excitedly snatched up his sword and sharpened it very sharply on the grindstone, he perceived Tinkerbell in his glass of medicine. He soon learned the reason when his little fairy took him in a weak voice that it was poisoned and that she had drunk the poison as the only way to save his life. It was indeed an act of self-sacrifice, for too well did Tink know how much Peter loved Wendy, and that no warning of hers would prevent him from keeping his promise. Poor Tinkerbell was dying, and die she would have done, were it not that Peter, in a frenzy of grief and with tears in his eyes, made this passionate appeal to all children. Do you believe in fairies? If you do, clap your hands, and that will save poor Tinkerbell. As his cry rang round the world, there came an echo of sound of millions of little hands, clapping as if all the children throughout the, the world knew suddenly that, of course, they believed in fairies. The result was magical. Tinkerbell was saved. Her light, which had been getting fainter and fainter, grew brighter and brighter, and brighter again. The merry sound of tinkling, her way of speaking to Peter, which had almost become inaudible, now grew stronger and stronger. She was once more the bright little fairy that escorted Peter to the darling nursery and again, under her guidance, Peter set forth to rescue the boys and Wendy. Part 5 The Pirate Ship The pirate ship was a terribly evil-looking craft. With its painted sails, its heavy tarred cordage, and its flag with the skull and crossbones upon it, flapping grimly at the stem. The poor children were at once driven into the dark and dirty hold, while Hook walked the deck, rubbing his eyes and chuckling to himself to think that at last he had them in his power. Are all the prisoners chained so that they can't fly away? He asked Smee, who was very busy at his sewing machine. Aye aye, Captain, answered Smee. Then hoist them up, shouted the captain. He seated himself on a chair covered with a white bearskin, 
waiting while the boys whose wrists were chained together were dragged out of the hold and brought before him. Six of them, he said, were to walk the plank at once, but he would save any two who were willing to be cabin boys. The children were not sure at first what walking the plank meant, but Hook soon enlightened them by roaring out a song in explanation. Oh, yo-ho-ho, the frisky plank. You walk along it so, till it goes down and you go down too. Ra-loo, ra-loo. So, Sang waving his hook to show how, when the plank tripped, they would be shot into the water and drowned. The pirate. Turning towards John Napoleon, Darling, he shouted, you look as if you had some pluck in you, John hesitated. In his schoolboy days, he had always thought of a pirate's life very attractive. So stepping forward, he said, will you call me red-handed Jack? The captain laughed with delight and promised and gave him that name if he joined the crew. When Michael went to him and slapped him on the shoulder, What will you call me if I join, he asked. Black-bearded Joe, answered the captain, and until another question arose, Michael was much pleased. The cabin boys were told that they must of course swear down with the King George, and to this neither boy would consent. John and Michael were then pushed on one side and told that their doom was sealed. While Hook shouted, bring up their mother. In a moment, Wendy was dragged from the hold and when the boys rushed to protect her, they were pulled back, leaving her standing alone, looking very frightened, but pretty in her brown dress with a long brown cloak wrapped round her. Hook asked her if she had any last message for her sons who were about to die. Wendy spoke beautifully to the boys, telling them she was sure their real mothers would wish them to die like English gentlemen. Her courage so inspired the children that they all cried they would do what their mothers wished. Upon this, Wendy was cruelly tied to the mast, whilst Took ordered her being carried out. But just as the boy's fate seemed determined, something happened to change Hook's glee into terror. Tick, 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 he heard. And at the dreaded sound, he yelled, The crocodile, hide me, hide me. In abject fear, he rushed to a corner of the ship, where his men crowned around him, intent only upon shielding their captain from the jaws of the monster. The boys, too, waited breathlessly with horror, until with sudden relief and rapture, 
They saw not the crocodile, but their beloved captain, Peter Pan, appearing over the ship's side. In one hand, at arm's length, he held an alarm clock, the ticking of which had made Hook believe the crocodile was upon him. Making a sign to his friends, Peter dashed into the cabin, unseen by the pirates, and shut the door. The ticking ceased directly, and Hook's terror vanished. Returning to his dreadful purpose, he cried, Now here's to Johnny Plank. Again he began to sing, Yo-ho, yo-ho, the frisky plank. But the boys, filled with hope and excitement, drowned his voice by singing Rule Britannia, and just as the pirate was about to vent his rage upon them, he was silenced by a shrill and piercing cock's crow from the cabin. Struck motionless with terror, the crew looked to their captain for some explanation who ordered Greco, one of his men, to enter the cabin and see what was the matter. Hook waited, but Greco did not return, and once again was heard the awful mysterious crowing. Someone must bring me out the doodle-doo, roared the captain, and as no one volunteered, I thought I heard Starkey volunteer, he said pointing his hook at Starkey. Mad with terror of the hook as well as of the uncanny creature in the cabin, Starkey rushed wildly round the deck and finally, to escape both, flung himself overboard. Furious at this, mutinous behavior, Hook shouted, I'll bring the doodle-doo out myself and he had no better success and came rushing back in a cowardly fashion saying something blew out the light. The happy idea now struck him. Drive the boys in. Let them fight the doodle do. If they kill him, so much the better. If he kills them, we're none the worse. This, of course, was just what the children wanted. But, concealing their delight, they allowed themselves to be driven into the cabin. In the meantime, all the pirates huddled together, hiding their faces. Sailors, you know, are very superstitious, and they all thought the ship was bewitched. So terrified were they, that no one saw Peter steal out followed by the lost boys who crept silently up the ladder to the higher deck. No one saw Peter cut the ropes which bound Wendy and take her place at the mast and cover his face with the brown cloak she had left while Wendy joined the boys. It's the girl, cried Cook. There's never luck on a pirate ship with a woman aboard. Let's throw her over. All the men knew that their captain was right, and one of the pirates started up and shook his fist at the brown-robed figure at the mast. 
There's nothing can save you now, Missy, he cried. There is one, came a ringing voice, and the brown cloak was flung aside, and there stood Peter Pan. Down, boys, and at them he shouted with a rush. The boys, armed with weapons, which Peter had found and given them in the cabin, swarmed down upon the lower deck. The pirates believed that the boys had been slain by the mysterious doodle-doo, and were panic-stricken as they saw with swords and daggers. Some of the crew rushed to the bulwarks and leapt overboard. Others with their knives fell upon the boys, while Hook back into the cabin fighting for his life. Put up your knives, boys, that man is mine, cried Peter, pointing to Hook. The boys turned their attention to the remaining members of the pirate crew, who were one by one forced into the sea, while the two mortal enemies appeared at the cabin door, closed in deadly combat. Each was determined to kill the other. Step by step, Hook was driven back to the side of the ship. He felt himself weakening. In despair, he cried out, "'Tis some fiend fighting me. Who are you, Pan? That man is mine. I'm youth, cried Peter. I'm a little bird that has broken out of the egg. I'm youth. I'm joy." With that, he wrenched Hook's sword from him and pushed him into the sea, right into the jaws of the waiting crocodile, who caught him at last. The boys burst into ringing cheers as they and Wendy crowded round their hero, who stood like a conquering Napoleon while the pirate's flag was lowered. Right in the jaws of the crocodile, the fate of the pirates, all the pirates save two, Smee and Starkey, jumped into the sea and were drowned. Smee, the Irish pirate, who was not so wicked as the rest of the crew, managed to swim ashore and subsequently became a reformed character and a brave sailor in His Majesty's fleet. Starkey, who had never shed blood, but had been guilty of many cruel deeds, was captured by the Redskins and led a miserable life. For Great Big Little White Panther, the Indian chief, compelled him to act as nurse to the papooses of the tribe, a sad come down for a pirate. Part 6 Home Sweet Home but at home in the Darling household all this time, there was deep sorrow. Darling as a punishment to himself for taking their guardian Nana away, had vowed that he would live in the kennel till his children's return. For months now he had lived in it and had been carried to business in it every morning much to the disgust and the prim little housemaid Liza. Mr. Darling had become quite a celebrity 
and great ladies, leaders of society, found him so interesting and touching that they all cried out as he passed by, Oh, do come to dinner at our house. Do come in the kennel. All the newspapers had asked him to write the cricket and football news for them, and his pictures and postcards were to be seen in every shop window. But it happened one evening when he returned from business, carried as usual in the kennel. He was taking up to the new desolate nursery, where Miss Darling spent most of her time mourning for her lost children, while the faithful Nana tried in vain to cheer her up. George, George, I believe you are beginning to like that kennel, she said reproachfully as he crawled out. He denied the charge, however, and tried to comfort Miss Darling, who never for one moment forgot the little empty beds and the silence and cheerlessness of the nursery. When he left her, and sitting down by the fire, Miss Darling was with her sad thoughts. He would live in the kennel until his children's return. Scarcely, however, had she closed her eyes when three little figures flew in at the window and nestled closely in their beds. Then softly Wendy called to her mother, and when Miss Darling looked round, she simply couldn't believe that the children were really there. So many times before she had dreamt of their return, that it was not till they all three crowded round her that she realized that they had indeed come home. Oh, what joy to feel once more those dear faces, cool and fresh from the flight through the night air, pressed against hers. Hot with tears, to hear once more the sound of those sweet voices as they all talked at once. At last, when she was a little calm, Wendy began talking about her Peter Pan and the lost boys, who with Peter Pan himself were all waiting outside. Directly, Miss Darling saw them and heard that they had no mothers. She instantly adopted them all. Though the house would be rather crowded, she could easily put up extra beds in the drawing room, she said, and with a scream on her at-home days, all could be comfortably managed. The only difficulty lay with Peter. Much as at first sight he loved Miss Darling, much as he loved Wendy, he couldn't consent to grow up. So at last it was arranged that he should fly back alone to Never Never Neverland, and that once a year, Miss Darling would allow Wendy to go and stay with him for a whole week to do his spring cleaning. High in the treetops of the Never Never Neverland, Tinkerbell placed the little house that was built for Wendy. 
The treetops are soft as velvet, and in the evening and twilight are all bejeweled with tiny mauve and white and blue lights. The mauve ones are boy fairies, the white girl fairies, and the blue lights are darling little sillies who are not quite sure what they are. And the still air is filled with the singing of birds and the ringing of hundreds of little fairy bells. But the sweetest sound of all is the fluting of Peter Pan's pipe as he sits outside the little house and calls to the spring to make haste because with the spring comes Wendy. The End Thank you all for listening, and if you enjoyed Knox Bedtime Stories, please become a Patreon patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can keep Knox Bedtime Stories, helping tens of thousands of people around the world get a good night's sleep, as well as get various rewards such as tears, extra episodes, books, your name on our webpage, and more to come. You can sign up at KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click on the Patreon link or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Become a part of a great community. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. May the best of your days be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.